Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. are live and ready to go outkick 360 on this monday edition it is uh it is show number 70 Ooh. alongside chad withrow and paul koharski i'm jonathan hutton david reed old. is the chairman of the board jacob swanson is here as well lance lee with a well he's not he's not having a day off he is on assignment. Regan McCrossin, our production assistant today. Gentlemen, good morning. Hope you if, both if Lance, had a great Father's Day. I did. If Lance is not here, I consider him off. Yeah, if you mean he's not working with us. Right. No, he, he has multiple jobs. He's, he's at the beach with he's his He's a feet. very diligent guy. He's, uh, he's got many assignments with the company. I just like referring to things as the company and not what the company is. But he's, he's doing a lot of different things uh, with the outfit. He's working for the outfit today. Yes. Uh, Regan McCrossin here by herself for the first time. Big Jake day. Papa's first day not with us, so big pressure on her today. Let's make her feel the pressure. Paul <laughs> worried about people I not being afraid of him. Maybe today is the day that he invokes some fear Be from afraid. our production assistant. We'll see. Be very afraid. We are past the point of being afraid of Paul. Yes. That, that is what we've Paul read. has grown into a status of eternal fear. On his own end, and no one else right. fears Paul. As Paul got more afraid of things, as Paul got more afraid of things, and he aged into a level of fear. No one else now fears Paul. That's no. that's what happened. I don't like that. I need that. <laughs> but to you don't deny it. But you don't deny it. I don't. I don't think that I'm afraid of a lot. I'm afraid of the three guys that were going to kill me in that dream. I'm afraid of that. And I want interns to fear me, and I'm going to try to uh, fix this issue. It's probably too late with these interns. The next group is doomed. You said it's too much, a lot more than you would have before about a lot of things. So there is a, it's more than the insane clown posse coming to you to kill you in a dream with this fear. Well, I fear my wife's back problem being something that's going to be a long-term issue for her. See, I didn't even bring that. that up. I'm just talking about things on the show, <laughs> and now you go to actual fear that you have. Paul's <laughs> like, yeah. I've got yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff that crops up in life. Well, right. that is, you know. But that makes you afraid of everything? No, I'm not afraid of everything. Okay, all right. I'm not afraid of everything. All but right. I'm not a horror movie all guy right. either. You know, right. I stay away from some things. I'm not scary. either. I just let Jacob Swanson tell me a horror movie, and I read the description on Wikipedia. <laughs> that's a, that's my horror movie ending. Is that game still I read on? the plots aloud to you guys. Well, I don't know if... I, I think the game ended with a walk-off from Jacob Swanson. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, like, uh, a Serbian film, I believe, was the name of the film that you can't top it. It was called A Serbian it's Film? It's called A Serbian Film. And what a I... I'm afraid to even say the title of the film in fear that some of our viewers out there might actually go it's look it up now. and read about it. And you're, I mean, do not even open the Wikipedia page with kids within uh, 100 yards of you. Not even that's kids. How, that's adults. how not suitable adults. for work this is. The written adults word. don't need to see this. The written word is not terrifying. even just clips from the movie. The written word <laughs> is not, it's not even just terrifying. It's so disturbing 
I, I, I don't want to even give a short descriptor of this film. It's that bad. You cannot top it. Jacob Swanson has really outdone himself by uh, recommending I read about a Serbian film to him. Scarier than the 17th hole? It's not even, Paul, I, don't, I wouldn't even call it scary. No, it's not even scary. It's disturbing <laughs> on many, many levels. I'm sure there are frightening parts and scary parts, but it is, and it, I think, as Jacob said, it was done over the top, disturbing, scary, as a political statement in Serbia. A Serbian film is about the Serbian government, but it's a metaphor in which they display a lot of disturbing things on film. I've got to read the description now. It's been banned in multiple countries. That's what I can uh, tell I you about this film. I would think starting with Serbia. Yeah, Serbia was the first to ban it. <laughs> first to ban it. <laughs> then several other countries fell in line. Uh, the 17th How about at Croatia? Torrey Pines, I, I don't view as scary. <laughs> I view as beautiful, and that is championship quality oh, yeah. worthy but for if, our country. If you were standing up there, you would might view it. If a normal person was standing up there, you'd definitely be scared. Well, I'm not afraid of hitting a ball into the it. water because yeah. I do it all the time yeah. anyway. So I'm going out of bounds either way, yeah. even if that cliff was there or not. Uh, but but the, the cliff with the no, hang gliders and, and the, the, the course itself, it was great. And props to NBC and the broadcast team for calling some of the choke artists choke artists on that back nine yesterday. Outstanding broadcast. Some of them are getting crushed for being so honest on the broadcast by saying that they they were losing it and the nerves were getting to them and that they couldn't handle the pressure and that Rory McIlroy just had a disastrous hole. I appreciate the honesty. Um, and it's just a different approach to the U.S. Open than what we see from the PGA Championship or at Augusta National. I, I'm all here for it. And I, I, I think it makes John Rahm's approach to that back nine even more outstanding with him coming through and winning the U.S. Open. Uh, we talked about fear to open the show. Golf has a level of fear in terms of how it's covered by people who talk about golf on television more than any other sport. I don't know why we're so hesitant to call a choke artist a choke artist. Rory McIlroy is a choke artist. He sucks when the pressure is turned up. That guy gets within one stroke of the lead, and it is like clockwork. You could, you could see that he was going to fall apart. Bryson DeChambeau, a bit of a choke artist. He was awful yesterday. Why can't we just say that? We say it in any other sport. There's some... Weird thing about golf that you can't just say, boy, this is a really good pro, and they just hit a really bad shot well, in a bad spot, the and the critics, pressure is getting to them. The critics laugh at those who say that because the three you've mentioned are top seven in the world. Right. And at, at that sport, when self-admitted here, I, it does I don't, cliff or no cliff, I'm hitting it out of bounds. But I'm sitting there, I, I've got the volume turned up to 11, because I can't wait for the next bad shot from these all-time greats. Yeah, but they're top seven in the world at the pinnacle moment of a major. And, and that course collapses. is built for right. them, against them. Yeah, built against them. But somebody's got to thrive there, and all these names that we know and are familiar with and some of whom we're rooting for. I mean, I thought it was a great disappointment that all of these names, there's a load of names on that leaderboard, two screens worth of names, really, at some point on Sunday, and then in short order, and they made the, the course destroys them, and it's down to two names, I, two names that I'm not real excited about. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I found it very compelling, and I watched way more uh, U.S. Open than I did college baseball or anything else Same over the here. weekend, and I spent all day pretty much staying on the U.S. Open. So 
I find failure to be compelling, quite frankly. When you're the best in the world and you fall apart, the way Bryson DeChambeau did, he's not best in the world, but when you're a great golfer and you fall apart on the final round of the U.S. Open, which happens every year with certain players, it, it's compelling to watch. John Rahm is a great story. Congrats to him, by the way, especially after what happened with his uh, COVID-19 situation. Yes. And he was going to win the Memorial and got taken away from it in a foolish thing uh, before the Sunday round. But it is compelling to watch the world's greatest look amateurish at Not times. all of them. You Not don't want it all the time. But, Paul, it is compelling to watch guys fall apart. Maybe it's why you know certain people watch hockey for the fights or racing for the crashes. It, it, occasionally, it's fun to watch this. I don't like when uh, I see everyone tearing up a course. When it's minus 28 and everyone's getting eagles and birdies, oh, it's less compelling. There was still something very compelling about that, that no, yesterday. I, I want a couple of the names to uh, emerge and be in it at the end. Oosthuizen's just boring. Oosthuizen. And, and Rom, you know, it was a good story for Rom, but I want somebody there that I feel like's going to really uh, push. And so when you watch Kepka and Morikawa and Casey and Shoffley and, and, and Henley drop off and, and all Reed, you know, made a well, You're, you're naming a bunch of guys who are worse Spieth names than John Rom and Louis Eustace. And, and Spieth and Dustin Thomas was there for a little while and came on. I, I want to see one of those guys gather in charge and. When none of them do, I'm, I'm bummed. Well, John Rom's Americans too. John Rom's number one in the in the John world. John Rom's number one in the world, so he's the top guy that won the tournament, which is good. Louis Oosthuizen is number twelve in the world. Louis Oosthuizen now has six runner-up finishes in majors. Yeah, um, I would feel a lot worse for that guy if he hadn't won one, won yeah. the British Open in 2010. Eleven years. He's the only guy. Eleven years though. Only guy with six and only one or no majors. Only guy with six runner-ups ever. I'm selfishly, I'm ready for a Colin Morikawa or a young American star to take the next step. What Jordan Spieth was able to accomplish back in what 2015, 2016, in the run that he had, I want Spieth to reemerge. Uh, I want an American to win the U.S. Open. You know, I, I'm rooting for the Americans at the top of the leaderboard to do something. And you had a Spaniard and a South African that were the final two players left. But I, I thought all in all it was still very compelling Kepka, to watch. Kepka, DeChambeau, a lot of hype with the rivalry. Both in range there at a certain point. Both didn't, didn't gather themselves to, to finish or make much of a charge. Well, DeChambeau was among that group but around the ninth or 10th hole. that was He was in the lead, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, he was making a charge. He took over the lead in the final round, and he's the defending champ. Yeah, the two most disappointing to me on the day were Bryson DeChambeau, Roy McIlroy, because both were right there. DeChambeau had a lead at one point. McIlroy yeah. was a stroke, a stroke back for like four or five holes. Mm -hmm. He was right there, and I'm thinking, okay, Rory's the guy to watch. And he had a lot of holes left. I mean, he was through 11 or 12, and everyone else was finishing up, and he was at two under. And I'm thinking, if he can get to four, if you can get to four, you're going to have a chance. Even though at the time, I think Louis Oosthuizen was five under. And he fell apart a bit down the stretch. Not as bad as DeChambeau did. But those are the two that were the most disappointing. Kepka was Kepka was sort of Kepka. You know, he did he enough to hang around. That would have but put him right there. Yeah, yeah, didn't really give himself a, a DeChambeau good DeChambeau just overthinks things at times. Like he, he wants to get as close to the green as possible in the first two shots. 
And he, he doesn't matter where the golf ball, it doesn't matter to him where the golf ball ends up on those two shots, as long as he's closest to the flag. And sometimes I think he overthinks uh, certain situations and certain shots, but he's outstanding to watch. Um, and look, I think Torrey Pines got it right um, for the U.S. Open setup. There, there were a dozen or so golfers who finished under par. Only three finished three under or better in this tournament. And eight or so players had a chance to win. And then they made the turn, and the golf course took over. That's what I want from a U.S. Open major championship. So for, for all the excuse-making of uh, the course is too difficult and it's been set up against certain players, I love the fact that they have to face this course. And ultimately, these, these guys, while they hit some bad shots, none of them were embarrassed by any means. Um, it was set up so that the best golfer won. And John Rahm, with about four or five holes to go, looked at his caddy after making a bogey, I believe, or missing a birdie putt and, putting and tapping in for par, said he thinks two pars and two birdies wins the tournament. And then he finishes with just that. No, he was the best golfer. Hit the last seven greens and he finished birdie birdie, which is the first uh, first since Watson in '82 to finish. Also, birdie, what, birdie what what people fail to mention in a tournament that tight. This was they, they hit the weather lottery in San Diego. Now, not just San Diego, California, but Torrey Pines on the ocean. Fog was not that much of a factor. It was just in round one, yeah. but not that much of a factor when it could have been a lot worse. The wind, I was watching the wind on some of these holes. The most they faced was 10 to 13 miles per hour. I mean, that, that's nothing for some of the coastline golf courses. So it could have been a lot more difficult for these guys than what it actually was. The biggest, the biggest thing was uh, some of these guys slipping on the 13th tee box. Yeah, and, uh, and some of that, uh, DeChambeau, with, with his slip, I mean, the guy swings out of his shoes. So uh, if you look at his front foot, he looks like a baseball player. Taking a stride, yeah, he, he's swing, not slipping he swings on any so other, hard. Other tee boxes, yeah. The but fives. I mean, but some of that was uh, again, his feet are loose as he swings. Um, and you said that DeChambeau th thinks too much. I think he thinks too little. I, I think he plays like such a meathead out there that he's just trying to hit it as far as possible, and he's not caring where it goes. And he said as much. He's like, look, people are worried about going right or left. I'm just trying to get as close to the, the hole as possible yeah, on every swing, and it's short game, for him. But his short game, he overthinks things a lot. Yeah, it, it's work for him at times. Which is why people are critical of his pace of play. Well, a couple things TV-wise on uh, NBC's coverage of the U.S. Open. Um, I love the, the moment where Phil Mickelson's just out there hanging out with John Rahm's wife and newborn. Uh, when he's out there on the, the practice green or on the driving range there at the end. And that story's amazing. Yeah. And he's Mickelson, so you know the backstory with what Mickelson did in 2016? No. Phil Mickelson's brother coached John Rahm in Arizona, Arizona State. And he made a bet, Mickelson did, before Rahm turned pro. He was still an amateur. He was ranked 733rd in the world. And he said within the next calendar year, this guy's going to be top 10. And he put money behind it. The only reports are there are some commas within the bet that he placed. And by 2017, he was top 10. That's awesome. He was around top five within That's the amazing. next calendar year. I saw uh, someone caption that, and it was just Phil kicked back right there on the putting green talking to John Rahm's wife. And it says, I'm going to hook you up with my guy, and we can turn this $2.1 into $10 million by Christmas. <laughs> and it was him giving investment yeah. advice to, uh, to John Rahm's wife. That was really good. Um, something else that jumped out to me, Saturday's round, um, Jimmy Roberts had a piece on U.S. military 
and all the military yeah. courses all over the country yeah. and how, how many military people play Torrey Pines and other courses around San Diego. And um, I think we're often so critical of people, you know, on shows like this or anywhere that I want to take the time to say, Jimmy Roberts is really good at TV. And that's a guy you don't spend a lot of time thinking about or talking about. But guys in that role that are great writers for television that can put together a a pre-produced piece like that and sound so compelling over the top of it, really, really good job by Jimmy Roberts. I don't think he gets enough credit for the great job that he does. But all in all, I mean, I I found it to be great TV uh, over the weekend. And I'm happy for John Rahm. It's It's a great story of redemption. And you had the two moments, the two long birdie putts. And the one on 18 that you're going to remember from that. And I would say a Tiger Woods level enthusiastic fist pump, multiple fist pumps from John Rahm on 18 that we'll always remember. And they'll be showing that clip for years to come. It also was pretty good for a, for a finish that doesn't finish on the course. You know, they, they did well. And the drama was pretty good for a guy that wins it on the range as opposed to wins it on the course. So I thought it ranked highly in terms of that. His story with the baby and everything and the COVID was great. And when you read up about him and the uh, emotional outbursts and stuff that he's had that he's working on getting a hold of, uh, I think we all like the fiery guy. But in golf, you can't be overly fiery if you're going to uh, recover from a bad shot and, and go on to win. And he's managing that better. So for his first win, the one statistical thing I got out of this, uh, and I wonder if you saw it, if you haven't seen it, I'm curious where you come on this. Kepka since 2016 in the majors is 84 under guess what the range of second best is there. So he's 84 under, I'm going to say it's like in the fifties would be the next. That was going to say 65, 21. DJ and Shoffley are 21 under. He's 63 strokes better since 2016 in the wow. majors, and he's won two PGAs and two Opens. But, I mean, that is a remarkable mark. So anything wow. I've got bad to say about Kepka, I look at that over oh, there. There's nothing. Body I, mean, work. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. He's always within range whenever the Masters, yep. uh, the, the majors are going on, especially and you know, the Masters. And this is his tournament. Uh, U.S. Open, yeah. Uh, I, I was intrigued by Ustazen's approach to 18 because he's, he's down two strokes at the time, and there's a lot of money on the line. First, first place is getting $2.1 million, and this is before taxes. California taxes are so ridiculous that his, his winnings are going to be cut in half. Um, half, Eddie. But at that point, Ustazen is also a stroke ahead of third place in Harry English, who's in third. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, how much do you go for it here for the U.S. Open title and go for the trophy versus play it safe and guarantee your second place winnings? And so I looked up the prize money. What was second versus third? 2.25 is first place, 2.25 million. Second place, 1.3. So you have a good million gap there. And then the drop between second and third is nearly $500,000. Don't you? If you're standing on the 18th tee and you know that you just need to par to get 500 grand more than third place, but and it's highly improbable. It's highly improbable that you're going to to be able to tie it down two strokes on 18. What's the mental approach? Now Ustazen ends up birdieing. Yeah, but 
But I think he birdies in part because he was going for the you know he was going for the eagle to tie. It. Yeah, and he, that, he, he had a nice little yeah. backspin on the approach shot into the green. I also yeah. liked how he uh, ran you know walked up to the green to survey everything because yeah. he knew he had to go for it. Yeah. Right, like you were looking at it like well. He's going to take his time on this because he's got to hold this thing on this chip. But he's already hit one out of bounds in his pursuit of, you know, chasing and, and knowing that he's within within striking distance. And on the 18th tee, I'm thinking, what, what type of monetary value is he thinking about here? Now, chances are if he's really mentally strong, he's not. But there's a $500,000 difference between second and third place. Yeah, I would think those guys are trained, self-trained in a way that they're not thinking about such things. He just wants to finish it as best as he can. <laughs> and thinking that going for an eagle isn't going to kill his chance to par it. There's, You're uh, hoping, right? This is such an unspoken thing amongst golfers to talk about money. To talk about winnings and talk about strategically just trying to make money. Yeah, the broadcaster. Unless it's Mickelson about it. talking about... Yeah, Trash talking, yeah, $100 bills. Yeah, Mickelson uh, will do that. <laughs> but uh, I was thinking about the great Dick Bland, which is just a terrific name for a British golfer. 48-year-old guy. Uh, he wins his first tournament on the European Tour a month ago. And he they were talking about his career. He's, he's won $7 million. He's been golfing since like 1996 or 97 as a pro. And he's won $7 million. He's not making a ton of money. When you think about $7 million over that many years, you know he's not making a lot as a professional golfer. So how much that money would mean to him, the taxes part of it would be, uh, would be bad for him. But you know, you're leading after the Friday round, going into the weekend. Of course, he falls apart. He's the 36-hole leader. Yeah, which everyone knew that he probably would over the weekend. But I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, what's, what's going through your mind when you're a 48-year-old guy You've won one tournament on the European Tour your whole career, and you're just thinking, can I just hold this thing together enough to get a top ten or to get something that's going to make me more money than I've ever made when did you in say any he started, tournament in my year? life? 96? He started in the late 90s. He started his career. He's 48 years old, so he's been around for a while, but he's been on – he hasn't – He's golfed in like multiple U.S. Opens, yes. you know, open tournaments in the U.S. Seven million over 25 years European isn't golfer. so bad. I mean, well, there are a lot a, of lines of work where you could do a lot well, of work. Well, yeah, but, I mean, when you think about professional athlete, you're thinking more money than that. Yes. There are a lot of guys that live that life, which isn't a bad level life. You're not a star, but you're... Well, he's been... He's not worrying about the mortgage. Had you ever heard of Richard Bland prior to this weekend? No. That's the point that Chad's making. And he stands at, at the top. But he's on the top of the leaderboard after 36 holes at the U.S. Open. He ends up finishing 50th. And he made twenty nine thousand dollars this weekend. Yeah, but there are a ton of guys that we don't haven't heard of who are making seven million dollars over twenty five years. Who are doing pretty well, making uh, and professional golfers for a living. No, but a U.S. Open title. Oh, would have changed everything. Of course, yeah. it yes. changes everything for anybody. Or even a top ten finish for him, and what it does, just for recognition. Yeah, because I he, mean he, it's got to suck. Because at forty eight, he's about fall. to head to a different tour. And what'd you say? Finished thirty seventh, fiftieth, tied for fiftieth. Yeah. Falling all the way to fiftieth when you were the thirty six hole leader has to feel like absolute crap. He ends up tying with uh, Tommy Fleetwood, My Gary God. Woodland, <laughs> Tommy Fleetwood, Rafa Cabrera Bello, also not coming. Or is it Bayo? Bubba Watson, also tied for 50. There's a guy that's gone quiet. Yeah, Richard Dick Bland. Bland. Richard Bland, one, one Dick Bland, turned <laughs> pro in 1996. 
and reached the um, final stage of the European Tours Qualifying School in 1997, gaining his card on Europe's second tier Challenge Tour in 1998. Been around a while. <clears throat> you know who is not a fan of Dick Bland? MyDrHank.com. Look, erectile dysfunction Bravo. affects over half of all men, but it doesn't have to make you feel like half of a man. Since 2017, My Dr. Hank has been making America hard again. My Dr. Hank helps you get low-cost ED meds, overcome the psychological and emotional barriers to getting ED treatment, all for as low as $2 per pill. And it affects over half of men out there. You don't need to feel embarrassed about this, but if you want something mailed to you discreetly with My Dr. Hank, they can do that, and they will send it to you and ship it to you from a pharmacy in the United States. Great offer, PK. 50% off your first subscription order if you go to MyDrHank.com slash Outkick. I love discounted first-time purchases. 50% off your first subscription order. Just head to MyDrHank.com slash Outkick. This offer available for a limited time. MyDrHank.com slash Outkick. We're streaming live right now across multiple platforms for pages, uh, of course, on Twitter, and every single day at YouTube. And if you will go and subscribe to the Outkick 360 YouTube page, you have a chance to win a fantastic prize. Sony and Hertz Odyssey giveaway, the Sony AX3000 car stereo with Apple CarPlay, Hertz Odyssey with the 520-watt amp and the 400-watt powered sub box and the speaker system. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, ring the bell to be alerted when we go live and post new content, and we'll draw a winner later this summer. All you have to do is subscribe and hit the alert button. And if, you're already, if you've already done this, like we've been mentioning in weeks past, you're already entered to win. We appreciate you subscribing to the Outkick 360 channel, and we will be posting exclusive content there, along with going live there every day, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. Shout out to Sony, shout out to Hertz Odyssey for hooking us up with a great prize for our YouTube subscribers. That is a big time prize, a lot of uh, monetary value on that prize. It's about a $2,500 system. So thank you if you've already subscribed and, and hit that bell at YouTube. But there's a little bit more enticement for you to go and do so if you have not with uh, the possibility of winning that great prize. Sometimes watching these NBA games and these NBA playoffs, I don't get the sense guys want to win. I don't see a winning mentality with some of these pros. And I, I found myself over the weekend, in, including last night with the 76ers, trying to figure out where that alpha mentality has gone. That, that quality that, that I, I believe franchises require, that general managers and head coaches would be looking for, that would jump out to you on the court when you're scouting a player. There, there are the haves and the have-nots in the NBA. There are the big three. There, there are teams that are, that are trying to just get by. But even teams that have a quality regular season record get by with some betas playing. And Ben Simmons is one of them last night uh, for the, the 76ers. Uh, he's at the top of my list watching this weekend. But it's not just Philadelphia that lacks this extra bit of energy when teams need it the most. What a horrible Game 7 that was, uh, where even Trey Young is 2 for 19, I believe, before and, and he stepped up down the stretch. He had nine points that helped Atlanta win that game. But this was, this was a game that you just wanted to see end quickly 
and move on to the next round. It didn't matter who won, but watching Ben Simmons and 76ers play throughout this series, it went seven. They didn't want to win. They, they, they lacked that alpha mentality, and that's Embiid, that's everyone. Well, and a couple positives uh, from NBA this weekend. Saturday night's Game 7, Brooklyn-Milwaukee. Fantastic. Was terrific. Crowd was energized. There was energy on the court. Kevin Durant did everything he could to There's uh, one alpha. personally it's him. lead his team to the next round. He's and, the and best player it. on the planet. Best player and unstoppable. I mean, he is unstoppable. It's I mean, they, They're putting 6'5", P.J. Tucker on him. They should have put Giannis on him the whole time, which is ridiculous, especially when he hit that last shot. But great individual performance so by him. So fierce. I thought the energy was great. I thought, um, and I tweeted this, I thought it felt like uh, UCLA-Gonzaga in the Final Four in terms of desire to win the game on both sides. Mm-hmm. I thought both teams completely left it out there. There were guys who were panting in exhaustion on the court. And the announcers are even saying, we haven't seen Giannis breathing this heavily all year. This is a really different look. And I'm thinking, it's because he's giving everything he has for the first time. Even in the playoffs, these guys know how to gauge it and get through a game. And they were putting everything on the court, and I thought it showed. And there was one NBA writer who was tweeting back at me, basically having an issue with me comparing it. Well, it's a a win-or-go-home game. Of course it is. And my response to that is, I didn't seem to see the same level from Dallas when they got eliminated in a Game 7 from the Clippers. I don't see this in every Game 7 in the NBA. That was different Saturday night, and it was great. I want to see more of that in the NBA. Phoenix, yesterday afternoon, watched a good bit of that game. Great energy from the crowd. I love that Devin Booker is paying for the fan who beat the hell out of the Nuggets fan to be at every game in the playoffs in, in the lower and level. Then, then shows up with a triple-double. Four straight. Shows up with a tri- alpha. Shows alpha. up with a tri- triple-double. Phoenix fun to watch. Good game throughout. And that game's that missing one. a couple key people. Yeah, and, and, and Kawhi Leonard not there, obviously, for the Clippers. But I thought a good game throughout. Now, getting to what you hit on. Uh, Philly is a miserable team to watch at times. And it starts with Ben Simmons. Number one overall pick. In 2016 draft, I saw this guy pass up a dunk. Yeah, that's how awful he is on offense. Pass right up now. a dunk with a chance to tie it. He, I don't know what level. Could have also just laid it in. I don't know what level of sports psychologist you need to see to figure this out. And this is twice he now. Sigmund Freud. I believe Markel Fultz was a number one overall pick by Philly, also, and that's a guy who had to go see uh, body doctors kinesiologist, sports psychologist, because he couldn't shoot. And they found out it was a problem with his shoulder at some point. But just a weird set of circumstances in Philly. But watching Ben Simmons play is frustrating. I don't even know if frustrating is the right word. I I don't know what you do with him. You guys know how I feel about people who are just liabilities on the floor at the end of key games. This is a building block player for them. He shot 15 for 45 on foul shots against Atlanta, 33%. 34.2% from the line for the playoffs. This guy's a liability at the end of the game. And he said, I ain't shoot well from the line this series. This is from ESPN.com. Offensively, I wasn't there. Offensively, I wasn't there. I didn't do enough for my teammates. There's a lot of things that I need to work on, subject-verb agreement being one of them. But, <laughs> I, I mean, I just I, if this is your admission, after you're the number one seed and you were expected to do big things. Also, Embiid is just unbearable. He, he had a guy off his feet for a three. 
and then he, he started to back in, mm -hmm. and a guy slaps the ball away. A, these are crucial possessions. It just doesn't seem to me that Philadelphia and, uh, and uh, some of these other teams, this is a bigger issue than Philadelphia, but these super hyper-valuable possessions, there's this sloppiness. We talked about one uh, with Giannis, with the ball passed to him under the basket at a crucial moment, a moment a star cannot make a huge error where he fumbles a ball that's passed to him right under the basket. Or this play, where Embiid makes a good fake and has a spin dribble, but lets a hand get in there to knock it away on a crucial possession where Philadelphia absolutely has to score. If they don't score, the game is pretty much over. You know, it's already pretty much over. They have to score to keep their slim chance of staying in this game with the foul shot shooting, stop the clock scenario going. And there's a sloppy thing where he lets a hand get in there and knock a ball away that turns into a layup on the other end or a dunk. And it's just like there's no understanding of the importance of the possession. I don't understand that. This is a crucial possession. Your whole playoff life comes down to this possession. Ah, somebody got their hand in. It's, um, it's also a nightmare scenario for the NBA right now, what you oh. have left in terms of markets and, and teams. But what the NBA has to sell is Giannis, Trey Young in the East, yep. Devin Booker stars. with Phoenix, and then well, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi's not on the trip. Yeah, he's not going to be there. But, I mean, that's you would have had Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. So the older, more established stars versus the young star in Devin Booker. And you got two young stars uh, with Milwaukee and Atlanta in that series. Um, I can't really get a sense – I follow a lot of Atlanta media on Twitter. I can't get a sense if it's really captivated the city. How about that scene in Milwaukee? They kept cutting back to and seeing that plaza party they were having. I don't know if it's captivated the city. The arena is among the best atmospheres in yeah. the NBA right now yeah. in Atlanta. It's fantastic. So, I mean, the, the home court advantage for the Atlanta Hawks is It is seems big. to have captivated Milwaukee. It should be the same sure. way for Milwaukee. Yes. Uh, but um, that Milwaukee Plaza party was terrific, terrific. on, on yeah. Saturday night. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, the, the best thing that Joel Embiid did this series was call out Simmons after the game. Simmons. He's lucky that Simmons has been as bad as he's been. And he admitted he's like, some spotlight. He was asked him about the turning point, and he said, "Look, I, I turned the ball over, tried to make something happen from the perimeter, but I thought the turning point in the game, to be honest." I thought the turning point was when, I don't know how to say it, I thought the turning point was when we had an open shot and we made one free throw, we missed the other, and they came down and scored. We didn't get a good possession on the other end, and Trey Young came back and he made a three, and then from there, down four, it's on me. I turned the ball over. I don't know if Simmons talked specifically about that shot. I mean, to me, that's just a microcosm of their, their biggest problems. They've lost what? Oh, here he is. They've, lo they've lost in the second round for the third time in the last four years. And the whole trust the process, that's that's running out of time on the trust. They've made it to a certain level, and now what do they do with it? I just can't imagine being, going back to Ben Simmons, number one overall draft pick, and uh, all anyone can say that's good about you is, well, he plays good defense. Right. You don't draft someone number one overall to just play good defense. And everyone that's on the court has to guard someone in the NBA. So you have to be able to guard someone and play decent enough defense, especially in a playoff setting. It was miserable to watch. James Harden is the other one. Someone on our YouTube chat said, you know, what about James Harden also? That guy just seems out of shape. I mean, we saw the, the funny videos of him in Houston when he wanted out. He was 30 pounds and, over. And right? how fat he looked in the warm-up line. Um, I, he just looks like a guy that's 
past his prime at this point. That's not. Well, he's he, hurt. I mean, he's and he's, he is injured. He's yeah, but he's also he's never been the type that has taken his physical condition overly serious. He's not one of these ripped, small it. body fat percentage guy, and he's been fine playing that way. Yeah, that's sort three. of that's sort of who he is, right? But I think it's gone to a different level. An injury. I'm sure has something to do As with that. As he gets also. older, it's going to become more important. Yeah. Injuries tend to result, uh, happen to guys who aren't the lower body fat end, right? Or who carry extra weight. Well, and, and people are going to come back and say, um, you know, well, you guys just hate the NBA or you, you want to hate the NBA. I want to like the NBA. I, I look at Milwaukee, Brooklyn Saturday night and I think, this is what I want the NBA to be. I want this to be a recurring nightly thing in the NBA playoffs where I'm watching and I'm thinking, I've got two teams that are entertaining the hell out of me because both of them want to win worse than anything. And I got that Saturday night. I'm not regularly getting that with the NBA. And if you criticize it, people say, well, you just hate the NBA because of the politics, or you just hate the NBA for this reason, or you've got a preconceived notion about the league. That's not true. I love basketball. I love good basketball. I said it last week. Go follow half-court hoops and watch some of the sets that the Phoenix Suns run. That's good basketball. They did it a few times yesterday, and it's fun to watch those plays develop and watch a young team that's developed from the ground up take the next step, like we're seeing with Phoenix, like we're seeing with Atlanta, like we're seeing with Milwaukee finally getting out of the second round. I like these stories. I need more reasons to get excited about the league, though, because for every Milwaukee-Brooklyn Hutton, there is a Philadelphia-Atlanta the next night and things we saw in that game. But at least we get Philly out of the mix now. Yep. And we get to see Milwaukee-Atlanta. Uh, or Brooklyn-Atlanta. You know, it would have been Brooklyn uh, had Durant. I, I thought Durant could have made it to the rim on that final possession where he airballed the three in overtime. I think, I think he was just so exhausted yeah. from that game. But I, I, I thought with the time remaining and how quickly he can get to the basket, I thought he had a chance to get to the rim and score. They're being hurt by injuries, the league, also. I mean, you're talking about Harden playing not full speed, Kyrie Irving missing, sure. now Kawhi Leonard missing. Uh, Chris Paul. Yeah, so we're talking about some names, some impact names. The, that uh, you know. And say what you will, we discussed it pretty thoroughly with Pro Football Doc about LeBron's complaint about the schedule and the injuries. Whatever the reason that guys of this magnitude are missing playoff games sucks. Well, some of them are coming down on foot. You know, they're yeah, yeah, turning an bad, ankle. Bad luck. Chris Paul is is out due to COVID protocol yeah. uh, with what the NBA is doing. Um, you know, where the NBA benefits right now is with Devin Booker. He had the triple double last night, and he's already announced he's going to play in Tokyo for the U.S. Men's Olympic Team. He has a chance not to just be a, a household name, but a true legit NBA star nationally. That's five on five Olympics, uh, right? Yes, and so you've got. Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Draymond Green, and there's one more, Damian Lillard, who have already committed to playing for Team USA. Steph Curry's on the fence, last I checked. Well, that, that's he good was, enough to win. He was, oh yeah. That's a good team. He was, he was trying to decide whether or not he was going to play. Uh, LeBron's not playing. He's promoting um, Space Jam. the Toon Squad instead of the U.S. Squad. Do not go see that movie. It's going to be terrible, just like the first one. I love Michael Jordan. First movie was terrible also, and I was a kid when it came out, and it was awful for kids. I think it was a good movie for kids. <laughs> you are blinded by your son liking the movie if you think that's a good movie. Dude, if there's a movie that your kid likes, that's a win. 
a win. That, that's tolerable to watch and rewatch. My daughter likes plenty of films that I don't like. <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, I'm not going to get into too. it. I'm my like, I don't know what this is. Intolerable. This one's tolerable. Bill um, Murray's funny. Oh, so you've seen it? Space Jam. No, How long is Bill Murray in that movie? I don't know, 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> the 10 minutes Bill Murray's in, I'll take that as a YouTube clip, <laughs> separate of the film, because the rest of it is awful. You know, LeBron was at the forefront of the movement back in, what, was it 2004? To get more players involved in the U.S. Olympics. Yeah, and, and, and um, uh, Coach K was a big part of it K also. Now. And now it's Greg Popovich coaching this group. Um, and that's good enough to win. You're right, Chad. Um, look, if Steph Curry plays, that's that's icing on the cake. Yes. At this point. This team, and I really get into the uh, Olympic basketball tournament because uh, the women will roll. They always do. There, there's nothing to worry about there. But with the men, it, it's it's our sport. I know right. it was in, invented by a Canadian, but it is our. It's an American sport, and I take that seriously, and I, I get embarrassed when the American men's basketball team loses at, at anything. I'm especially embarrassed at the three-on-three team. The first time in Olympic history that's a, there's gonna have, they're going to have three-on-three basketball. You could have taken the last guys on NBA benches or the best college players currently in America, however you want to do it, and put together a better, better team than Robbie Hummel, Dominique Jones, Kareem Maddox, and Joey King. Because this group of Americans lost to the Netherlands and did not even qualify for the Olympic tournament in three-on-three basketball. Paul, you say it's an embarrassment to have three-on-three. I think it's a stretch to have a three-on-three tournament also. But that is an utter embarrassment to this country <laughs> that that's the best we could do. Were those guys that lost to the Netherlands and did not even qualify for the Olympic tournament? I mean, seriously, shouldn't the best three guys at Venice Beach on the outdoor court qualify for the Olympics? I, I'm I not want, kidding when I say that. I want the Outkick 360 to be put. I, I want to become like the um, uh, Jerry Colangelo of the three-on-three program <laughs> when he took over USA Men's Basketball and they started doing good rebuild things and getting it. NBA players there. I want to rebuild. All of us, we can take this charge ourselves and rebuild the three-on-three reputation of America on the global stage after this epic disaster by Robbie Hummel and three guys I've never heard of uh, that are a part of this three-on-three team. It's not – I could find so many better combinations of American players to go play in this tournament. And I can even get strategic about it from a three-on-three sense in terms of what you need position-wise and what different guys could do. This is the purpose of creating this sport. The purpose of creating a three-on-three basketball thing is to make it more appealing to the rest of the world because the Americans aren't going to dominate because the Americans don't care about three-on-three basketball because they're busy with five-on-five basketball. Well, read, you know I mean? uh, but still, if, if it involves a basketball, I don't care if it's a dunk I, competition, I exactly. three-point shootout, a dribbling competition, uh, a game of Simon Says. I don't care what it is. We need uh, to win. I, I agree with you, but we don't have a three-on-three U.S. basketball federation and organization. I'm and offering to become that federation. And the Netherlands probably does. I'm offering to become that federation. I also well, don't we, think it takes a federation we to put three Americans together that could beat the rest of the world uh, in three-on-three. Three. We have Ice Cubes League. That's... Reed brought that yeah, up, Amy right? The Ice Cube, in, uh, right? Maybe Ice Cube could be a part of our federation. Let's form a three-on-three <laughs> three basketball a federation. A lot of fake. What was the tournament? Ice Cube with the three-on-three three tournament back in the day that everyone went and played at? 
It was all over the country. All the crazy Macker. dribbling. No, what is it, it, was, it was like. Uh, it was Gus Macker. No, I know what you're talking about. It's something it I played TV. in a number of years. There's a lot of it on TV. It yeah, the kids. finals would go crazy to dribbling. Years. Yeah, it wasn't that. It was it, it was an actual three on three tournament that like went to every American city and had different trials. You'd go mm -hmm. in and play. Somebody's going to be interplaying it in our. It was usually outside. Right. I played in it one year in the uh, Nissan Stadium parking lot in Nashville. Hoop it That's up. It. Hoop it up. That's it. Thank the you, Art Franklin. Team. Yes. Hoop it up. Uh, that was one. Take the best hoop it up team and put them out there over Robbie Hummel, who last I saw is doing like Big Ten Network or ESPN basketball coverage. Well, who are the and one guys? We could just put them on a one team. The helicopter. I'd, yeah. <laughs> I'm right, willing, that's what I'm talking about. I'm willing about. to sign anyone called the helicopter right? up for any Olympic sport, wh whatever the sport may be. Yeah. Oh, they're still out playing. Time. They're still out there playing. There's YouTube channels dedicated to them just showing up and, and taking on all comers of all the things to not qualify for <laughs> of all the things coming up there were some teams that qualified for tom brady last off season before he chose tampa bay and some teams that uh, the very end of the bidding war decided to step back and take themselves out of the running brady has responded to a question about that uh, where, in typical Brady fashion, uh, there is a chip on his shoulder about it. That's coming up on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network coming up. A landmark decision by the Supreme Court on the NCAA. That is straight ahead. First, though, Tom Brady. Um, look, what, guys, correct me if I'm wrong. The teams at the very end of the quote-unquote, recruitment for Brady. The Saints, this is right before uh, Breeze unretired, the Saints, the 49ers, the Bears, and there is uh, one more, uh, the Chargers, I believe, were L.A., uh, the Chargers on top of Tampa Bay. Um, in a interview, he says that one of the teams that, w one of the teams that was not interested in him uh, he, he said with Le LeBron James, he's chatting with LeBron. Does LeBron show on shop. HBO? Yeah, the barbershop. The barbershop, yeah, it's on HBO. Okay. He says, your his response to that was when learning that one of the teams was taking their name out of the hat, he goes, you're sticking with that mother bleeper? Talking about the quarterback that they had. So now everyone is asking which team is he referring to. It's hard not to look at this and look at the Bears, right? Well, I mean, I, I I hear this and I. This is pre-draft. Pre I mean, this is last So who did the Chargers have at quarterback at that stage? Because this was before they drafted Herbert. Tyrod Taylor. Uh, they didn't have anybody either. I mean, I don't. Yeah. But they wouldn't have been sticking with anybody. They because. Well, Rivers the one that I immediately gone. think about is the 49ers and his former backup. Oh, Garoppolo. Yeah, it could have been several teams. But I mean, I, that, my mind immediately goes to you're sticking with that. Mother bleeper, who he's talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, who he knows and who backed him up. I mean, it could be anyone. I'm just guessing. But that's where my mind immediately went with it. The my Bears, mind the also Bears goes to, I love Tom. Tom Brady so much oh, yeah. for things like this. The Bears actually made an offer to Brady. Um, I believe the Chargers did as well. And it came down to L.A. and Tampa Bay. The Bears would have been sticking with uh, Trubisky. Right. I mean, Trubisky's the maybe the worst guy that if you're sticking with, meaning like he was your incumbent and you're sticking with him, 
Trubisky's but the worst. But also, they had Foles also, so there was some uncertainty. He may not even be referring to any of these final five teams. It may be a team that they reached out to that they learned they were the not four. interested in him. And he's thinking, you're sticking with that, Mother Bleeper? Like that, that was his initial thought process to himself when he learned this. He didn't say it to them. He said it to himself. He said it to himself. He was thinking that, yeah. yeah. Which I would like it I mean, more if he said it to them. The fans, the fans <laughs> are certainly thinking that. Multiple yeah. fan bases were saying that. Um, guys, a, a big decision today by the Supreme Court. They've uh, unanimous. Yeah, unanimous. Nine nothing. Unanimous decision to allow unlimited benefits for student athletes as long as those benefits are tied to education. And so, while this does not mean that you have boosters that automatically come in and start paying players, or universities can just crack, uh, get, just cash a check or or cut a check to a, an amateur athlete, what it is going to allow is for those funds to be tied to education. So, are you going to be able to provide me with a postgraduate job guaranteed? Can you provide me with a paid internship? Can you give me a laptop computer? Can I have a cell phone? Can you buy my Anything books? Anything you can tie to education, uh, more than just a scholarship, the Supreme Court has ruled in a unanimous decision, 9 nothing, that yes, in fact, as an athlete, you can expect those things from your university. It's going to be interesting to see who utilizes this to their advantage over other schools because there will be no equal playing field with this. Not yeah. that there's an equal playing field now, but who is going to be the most creative with it? I mean, look, it's a huge win for the student athlete. Um, the, first and foremost, it's, it's great for them, but well, so. I immediately think about who is gonna be the most creative in how to not necessarily skirt the rules, but to give the athlete more <laughs> than the school they're recruiting against. Well, what if you're within driving distance of the campus and you need a new car? That's for educational purposes. You're, go, you're going to class in that car. Or a place to live. I mean, if, if you're, the next step with this is we will all start thinking outside the box. Well, you've got a place to live. How do you tow the line? scholarship, right? I'm really worried about college sports and what's going to happen. It's, it's not going to be cut and dry, simple, pay players, give them benefits, name, image, likeness. They deserve it. It's just not going to be that simple. And this is not me being some fuddy-duddy that just wants to go back to 50 years ago the way it was. But college football, college basketball, the two I'll bring up, they've worked for years. Now, we can sit here and say, college basketball especially, they've cheated like crazy at the highest levels for years. But whatever these schools have done, above the rules, below the rules, in between, whatever, it's worked for a good product for years. I don't know how the product's going to turn out now. I don't know how the transfer portal is going to affect everything five years from now. We know how it's affecting things now. It's complete roster turnover for a lot of teams in college basketball from year to year because you can cycle out an entire roster with the transfer portal. With all this stuff mixing together, I just don't – I fear for the future of college sports and what it's going to look like. Well, for decades, we've seen the NCAA defend what it's been doing by saying that the scholarship is enough. That, that's how these athletes are being quote-unquote paid. They're being paid with the scholarship. And now the Supreme Court, with this ruling, is redefining the amateur status of college athletes. And on top of that, state by state, the name, image, likeness part of this is coming into play, where at the 1st of July, Georgia's going to announce 
the NIL, uh, a deal that they've cut with a, a five-star freshman quarterback that's coming to campus uh, that's under and, and completely legal under the Georgia state law now. So we are entering into a different world altogether, albeit a world that has been going on. There's been an underground yeah. of this going on at the highest level. Um, and I think we all uh, agree that, you know, what, what has happened behind the scenes, sometimes it's don't ask, don't tell. In, in this case, it's all going to be out there and open. And that's what worries, I think, Chad, you the most, is once we open that door and allow everybody to do it, it's, there's, no, there's no turning well, back. Well, and here's, it's also about value, okay, if we're talking about value. Like, I don't think that a football player who's not playing on Saturdays this is going to piss a lot of people off. They're not worth the free computer and the free lodging and the free car and the free everything else that starters are going yeah, to get. Depth chart. Related. Yes, they're working just as hard, yada, 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 whatever. From a sheer value standpoint of wins they're producing, of what they're doing on the field in games, it's not worth it. But what is Arch Manning worth to a school? Right. But I mean, he's, he's worth the number one pick in the NFL draft money but for the, three years to a school. But you're worth whatever that university is willing to give you to be there. And what would a university be willing to give, and what would boosters be willing to give? What would LSU boosters be willing to give to keep Arch Manning in the state of Louisiana, the first Manning brother, the first Manning son, father, whatever, to go to LSU and to keep them there for three years? What With happens? the way the rules are set up now, to have to be there three years, what is it worth to LSU? What is it worth to Ole Miss? What is it worth to Tennessee to lure a quarterback like Arch Manning? I think it's first overall pick NFL draft money for three years that they're at that school. What happens when you, uh, you're a notch below Arch Manning, all right? You're not a sure thing quarterback, but you're a popular quarterback, and you've been recruited, uh, you know, but they've recruited another quarterback. And you get to the school, and you're worth the computer and the car and whatever, but then you lose out. And you decide you're going to the transfer port. Do they take the computer back? Do they take the car back? This, this is a very unwieldy thing. And right? I would say yes. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, well, good luck getting the computer back, you know, in a lot of these uh, things. I'm not saying I want bureaucracy, right? I don't think any of us want bureaucracy. But I also don't want the wild, wild west. And so... Well, it's already that. Right. But Those so something are already getting laptops and cars. I know, but something has to uh, rein this in to some degree. I can't see how, and I think the NCAA has largely lost all of its power. But yeah, but you can't have name, image, likeness take off if it's legal in Georgia on July first, and it's not. We've talked about this in the same conference where one school has it and three schools don't, or whatever. NCAA has to wield some power at this and say you can't go forward until the league all has it or all doesn't or, or whatever. Conferences have to, to dictate some rules on this. And I would say at this point, wouldn't it be great if there were some governing bodies, conferences, or nationwide that actually could responsibly monitor some of this stuff, legislate it in a reasonable fashion, and ensure that there was some level of oversight. That, I, I, that's a naive, I know how silly that sounds. That ship has sailed a long, long time ago. But it is, I think, what the moment requires. Well, the Supreme Court, in the 9 nothing vote, um, so the NCAA referenced a 37-year-old case to bolster its 
its view on this current case that the Supreme Court was ruling Which on. Which it was against, obviously. And the Supreme Court responded in this 9 nothing, and then and, and is quoted here in the ruling, that case is incorrect. The bottom line is that the NCAA and its member colleges are suppressing the pay of student-athletes who collectively generate billions of dollars in revenues for colleges every year. Billions in italics. So they're even pointing to what the NCAA is getting from the, the fruits of the labor of the, of the student-athletes in you've this. Been, you've been getting away with it. Yeah, and, and it's you're not over. getting away with it anymore. Yeah. I, there are certain things in life that I would just rather not have knowledge of that I would just rather not know about yeah. or think about. And for whatever reason, college cheating, while we all know about it, I'd rather not know about the specifics. I think most And now that like it's completely that. open and legal uh, to what was once considered cheating in college, well, it's just I don't know where it's all going to go now with some of these programs. It's like but an aval- at the same time, coming. like while I don't really I do agree that there there's been cheating that's been going on behind the scenes. At some point, you have to look up and look at the money generated, especially in these major sports, and think, man, who's really doing the cheating here? Who's really getting away with this? And it's the NCAA offices in Indianapolis. No one is is going to defend the NCAA or say that they've been uh, aggrieved. I'm just simply talking about me, the fan. (laughs) I've liked it better when the cheating was below the table and with $100 handshakes and were... uh, Boosters that own car dealerships giving cars to people. Yeah, but ultimately, I don't think the fans care one way or the other. They just want their they want their team and their product to win. Yes, and they're they're going to show up and support their university. And they want yes, and they want it to be they want it to be in a system that doesn't continue to go to you piss me off in practice, I'm out of here. Right. Right. You're going you're gonna to read about your team all offseason, and then there's going to be one tough practice, and five players are going to bolt because they can now, and they can go get legally paid at other places, and they're not going to have to work out backdoor deals, and they can leave immediately and go, go to camp you know, somewhere else and go play for a rival conference school. That's when fans aren't going to like it. I don't know that that's going to happen. It's going to be that extreme, but that's what I fear. Also, for even the most brazen programs, there's some fence, right? My fence might be pretty tight, Chad, and your fence might be way to hell acres and acres away from my fence, states away from my fence. But there are fences. You know, a lot of programs probably going to look at this and say, no more fences. And, you know, because it does take down some fences for sure, or widen the fences. And so now uh, I fear the Wild West where, you know, anything goes because... Who's enforcing anything, and and what can't I do? If I can give this and this, well, if I give this to, who's going to really notice or call me on it? So we're going into the Tennessee Power Hour here, so this is a good segue into that hour. Does this make Tennessee look incredibly dumb for having brought the NCAA in on paying players on visits? Because now it's legal, a lot of the stuff that they did. The Supreme Court is saying it's legal. This either makes it education. This either makes it a uh, where you come back and say, "Look, we were the last ones to actually include you guys in on things. Take it easy," or it's the NCAA's last Final chance hammer. to hammer someone. Tennessee and Arizona State on on pretty much a lot of the same violations occurred with both with COVID and having people in on visits when they're not supposed to and, and things like that. So 
I just immediately thought, boy, the LSUs and Arizonas of the world that would not cooperate Kansas with the NCAA, I think they look smarter now for having done that with this new ruling. It's all luck, though. You didn't see this coming, did you? The Senator, did. Uh, Senator Cantwell from Washington, who's the chair of the U.S. Senate Committee on Commerce, and she's been working on the federal NIL bill. She, her quote today, student athletes are the ones creating tremendous value and providing entertainment for millions with their talent, hard work, and skill, and the NCAA policies must reflect that reality. Um, the NCAA Council, by the way, is meeting tomorrow and Wednesday, and any recommendations will then go to the Board of Directors on June 28th. Better work fast. Well, work fast, uh, but at the same time, I, I think this has been going on for a long time. Like, this isn't Wild Wild West has been happening. I don't, I don't think this is going to change anything drastically behind the scenes. I really well, don't. Once you take away somebody's... Wild Wild West has been going on, but there's still... The, the periphery of it, there has to be fear, right? There's a line that you wouldn't cross and some fear of getting caught. When that stuff's removed, there's new elbow room here. I, I, that would worry me. I, I mean, the fear of getting caught, you just put a couple of people in between you and the cash. Um, that, that's, that's, you just add an extra layer or two in the transaction. It's a bad I, day for the middleman. Transactions have been going on for years and years. Um, and look, I, quite honestly, the fans don't care. You can, you can simply look at the name, image, likeness clicks, uh, the video watches, um, go, go to any of these college sites. Name, image, likeness doesn't necessarily get as many clicks as the transfer per portal does. Fans are crazy about the transfer portal and the thousands of players that are in that. But NIL, uh, you, you look at the headline and you move on. That's a school matter. Right. It's a player matter that's uh, it's a player matter nuanced that, yeah. that I don't care about. Go get the best players, pay for them, bring the best players to my university, and let them show out here. That's, that's what the fans want, ultimately. We'll discuss that and more coming up with the Tennessee Power Hour. We'll talk about the balls, both on the gridiron and the diamond over the weekend, Commodores as well in the College World Series. And we'll talk Julio Jones and the Titans scheme offensively. It's all coming up on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.